This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl Ong and you're tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Recently, the world of football was set abuzz with the £300 million takeover of Newcastle United Football Club by a Saudi-led consortium which will see the state through its PIF, the Public Investment Fund, owning about 80% of Newcastle United. This officially marks Newcastle as the richest club in the world and sky's the limit now with the consortium worth an eye-watering £700 billion. For comparison, the next in rank is Sheikh Mansour's Manchester City, worth about £23 billion. A deal that's 18 months in the making, the first takeover attempt failed with issues on TV rights and the state's control over the club. Now the deal is over the line and it's a takeover that didn't go down too well with human rights activists as Saudi Arabia's record in this is well documented. However, from a footballing perspective, Newcastle is set to be the next European footballing superpower with all eyes set on the upcoming January transfer window. Will this astronomical deal change the landscape of modern football? Football pundit and writer Bob Holmes joins us on the programme today. Well, it's, uh, I would say I was conflicted by it. I sympathise with the Newcastle fans uh, because they've had a terrible time with the previous owner, Mike Ashley. Mm-hmm. They're a big club. I know they haven't won anything for over a hundred years or just about a hundred years um, but they get 50,000 people there every week no yeah. matter who they're playing mm. it's a one club city and they are passionate fans and they deserve better than Mike Ashley but whether they deserve or <laughs> I don't know deserve is the right word um, the uh, new owners is uh, a highly contentious matter isn't it as you say, it's been going on forever and it's finally got over the line. And yes, richest club in the world, but facing a relegation threat. <laughs> and that, that is serious. Um, and how they handle that, of course, is um, any, anyone's guess. I mean, they are down in the, um, in the bottom three. Yeah. They've got a tough fixture list coming up. They've only got a temporary manager and the problem is they can't spend all that money until January. Yep. Mm. By which time they could be in even deeper trouble. And then you, you have to ask, well, who will want to go there? Either players or manager. So, yes, they're in a mess. I mean, in theory, if, uh, even if they go down... Um, with all that backing, with all that money, they should be able to sort themselves out and get promoted back and then start getting the the big-name players, in theory. But I don't think it's going to be a straightforward uh, process. Mm. Even if they stay up, I don't think it's going to be that easy because they've alienated so many people. 
think I think what people expect uh, is almost instant success, right? But it's almost never the case. I mean, look at City, look at Chelsea. Those are years and years of almost rebuilding a new era, right? Yes, and they were better teams than uh, Newcastle to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chelsea were quite a good team. Um, they qualified for the Champions League, uh, which was the main reason uh, Roman Abramovich uh, bought them. I don't think he would have if, if they'd not got in the Champions League. Mm. And they'd, they'd won uh, Cups uh, in the few years before that. So they were an established team. Manchester City, a little bit different. Uh, a bit of a, a bit of a joke club, actually. Um, I mean, joke in terms of uh, they were called the cock up club because they always found ways to lose when they were they could be winning three nil with ten minutes to go yeah. and still manage to lose four three, that sort of thing. So they were a bit different, but they were still a lot better than Newcastle. Mm. They weren't in the in the bottom two, so you know. They didn't really have to worry about relegation or anything, no. Yeah, but were you surprised that, you know, um, the Saudis chose Newcastle? Because surely, you know, um, investing in a more successful club is a safer financial bet, right? Than the team that's lower down in the footballing pyramid. Yes, um, a little bit, but uh, Newcastle were a bit better when they first got interested. They were a mid-table club. And they're a one-city football club, which is uh, one of the reasons they got such big crowds. Yeah. They're not divided like Manchester and Liverpool, for example. So there's always that. And they, um, they do have a tradition, despite not winning the league for, since 1927. They did win the FA Cup um, in the 1950s. And uh, they won the Intercities Fairs Cup since then. And under Kevin Keegan, they mm-hmm. almost won the um, the league, didn't yep. they? Yep. They had a very exciting team. Uh, they had Alan Shearer playing for them. And so, I mean, even uh, people a lot younger than me in Newcastle have known uh, some success or near success. So, uh, you know, it's not as if they, it, it's completely unheard of. They are a, a sleeping giant. Mm, yeah. So, and I think that's what the Saudis um, saw in them. Yes. Gotcha. Um, for a bit of context, Bob, like you said, this has been 18 months um, in the negotiation table. Actually failed once. Uh, maybe for a bit of context for listeners who, who you know, probably not sure what happened. Um, what changed? You know, what changed for the takeover to happen now at the second attempt? Well, I think it was um, politically uh, there was peace was declared between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Um, You might ask, what's that got to do with Newcastle United? Well, one of the obstacles to the deal going through, uh, getting Premier League approval, was the um, problem with piracy. And we know only too well, in fact, I think the the chief of uh, the anti-piracy program has even been on BFM explaining how they're trying to uh, crack down on it. Well, the biggest uh, pirates were Saudi Arabia. And one of the big customers of the Premier League, and they uh, deal with Astro, that it's through uh, these people that um, we watch our football in Malaysia, be in sports. They are based in Qatar, and their uh, broadcasts were jammed by the Saudis right across the border. They, I mean, the countries border each other. Mm. And 
they had they set up this jamming station, um, which is effectively a pirate station, called Be Out. <laughs> Be Out Q. I mean, they at least they have a sense of humour. Um, so, uh, not everybody gets that, you know. <laughs> So we had this war between be in and be out. <laughs> and one of Premier League's major, major customers, be in, could hardly um, be expected to continue buying the product if the Premier League dealt with the country that owns be out. Yeah. So when they, they sorted that out and Saudi Arabia agreed to shut down this be out thing. So that was a major obstacle Removed. Mm. I, I heard and that. I heard that they had to spend almost a billion dollars just to get at the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's nothing much to the Saudi <laughs> uh, public uh, <laughs> investment fund, is it? One billion. Uh, what, what is it? Three, three hundred and sixty-two billion, billion or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Should buy a couple of decent fullbacks, shouldn't it? <laughs> um, so that was a major obstacle cleared, mm. and then. Um, I mean, trade was, well, it was never really halted, was it, between the countries? And all that a time went on. Time is a great healer. Um, and they finally decided to get it done. Um, I mean, the wounds of the Khashoggi uh, murder mm. have not gone away. And that's why I think this is different. That's why I think it's, um, it's going to have a, a bigger problem than say the uh, Qatari takeover of uh, PSG mm. in France or uh, UAE's takeover of Man City in England. Uh, I mean, yes, they are not noted for great uh, human rights records, are they? Um, neither country, to put it mildly. But they had not had uh, a major incident like the Khashoggi affair, which was world front page news wasn't it for mm -hmm. a long time mm -hmm. and and still is in in uh, some places um i think it's a matter of degree i mean there were man man city fans and there were psg fans who had quibbles about their takeovers i mean not every football fan is apolitical or stupid they're aware of all this most of them but they they can always think of uh, they always say, what about? What about the British government, for example, supplying Saudi Arabia Arms. with tanks and fighter jets mm. to conduct a war in Yemen? I mean, uh, why should Newcastle United be uh, held up as an example when that's going on, you see? So this is what, this is their argument. Mm. And I can see, I can see that. I mean, there's hypocrisy there, isn't it? You can't, you can't get on a high horse about human rights and then supply that country with weapons to conduct a war yeah. in another country. I mean, uh, you know, that's a lot worse than, than anything that can be done on a football field. Yeah, so that was the point of 
Newcastle United fans are making. Yeah, and some, sometimes you got to look into in the mirror, right? And, and like you rightly mentioned, Bob, it's a deal that didn't go well, uh, didn't go down well with you know especially human rights activists, uh, Mohammed bin Salman and Saudi Arabia's human rights records. Um, sports washing is something um, that's been thrown around, you know, um, using sports as a front to improve, you know, the country's image or what have you. What are your thoughts on this, you know, Bob? Is there such is there no such thing as ethical ownership anymore? <laughs> well, was there ever? <laughs> I mean, um, back in the day, you know, the, when the British football clubs were owned by the local butcher or plumber or candlestick maker or whatever, um, there were no angels then. I mean, even Manchester United were owned by a man who was convicted. He, he was a butcher, mm. but he was convicted of selling pet food and passing it off for uh, customers, to wow. customers. Wow. I mean, that was a former owner of Manchester United. So as I say, um, no, we're not talking about human rights, but we're, we're not talking about angels in, um, in some of these cases. Mm. Um, it's, it's always been a dirty business, you know, football. I mean, Pelé called it the beautiful game, but because it's so big... It's, it has attracted the good, the bad, and the ugly to it. it it's, it's got a global audience, and a global audience in, includes some bad guys. Sports washing, all right. I think it's a matter of degree. I think there's, um, yeah, um, UAE uh, not clever on sports, on human rights, nor were Qatar. But they had not done anything quite as infamous as the Khashoggi murder. And I think that's what, uh, that explains the anger and opposition to Saudi Arabia. I mean, football owners, uh, football clubs, I mean, they they tolerate so much. But that was probably beyond the pale. I mean, everyone has a breaking point. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you like. Mm. And it, it's pretty hard to, you know, deal with a country that has done that. And uh, I think that's why. That, that's really, to me, the explanation of the opposition to the Newcastle deal, where the opposition to the Man City and the PSG and even, say, Roman Abramovich, yeah. who was no angel either, was he, from what we hear, um, they were sort of grudgingly accepted. And then, of course, the trick is for sports washers, you, you behave very nicely when you're in those people's countries. You do everything right. They've not put a foot wrong, hardly, Manchester City owners. Mm. Um, I mean, they, they consult the fans when they want to build a new stand and move season ticket holders a few meters from their old spot you know Mm. they'll consult them hands-on owners yeah yeah i mean really they've done wonders for the club and they've even rebuilt um a derelict part of manchester Mm. which to be fair the saudi owners to do something it's not all about the football club Mm. they're going to renovate some derelict part of town and, uh, you know, employ thousands of people and all this sort of thing. The same formula as the Man City owners yeah. uh, used. So that's a way of 
getting popularity. And people will turn around and say, well, they did all this for us. I've got a job because of them. They can't be too bad and all that. And then, and therefore, to that extent, sports washing works. Bob Holmes on the show this week as we talk about the recent Saudi takeover of Newcastle United. More of that conversation to come, so to stick around, only here on Bar None on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl Ong and you're tuning in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Today on the program, we've been exploring and talking about the recent Newcastle United takeover by a Saudi-led consortium worth £300 million and how this deal might potentially change the landscape of modern football. Football pundit and writer Bob Holmes joins us on the program this week. Well, I could change it drastically. Um, I mean, the Premier League called an emergency meeting of the nine, 19 clubs, not, not inviting Newcastle, uh, to discuss this. And they're not happy about the approval given. And they, um, I mean, they are jealous of this money. There's no question about it. You never thought Man City owners would be uh, upset by uh, somebody being richer than they are. But clearly, they, they're worried about it. And they're worried about the sponsorship deals that could go through. I mean, if Saudi's airline, for example, uh, sponsors them, and, and it's, it's going to look very much like it is the Saudi Arabian state rather than the the private investment fund, yep. which is what the owners are trying to say it is. So, uh, and they, they're worried that Newcastle will, could in, in a couple of years' time, in theory anyway, outbid them for someone like Erling Braut Haaland or Kylian Mbappe. Mm. Um, and, and they could end up at St. James's Park instead of uh, Stamford Bridge or the Etihad. Mm. Uh, like, like you rightly mentioned, you know, um, the Saudi PIF has about 700 billion. Uh, miles ahead of Sheikh Mansour's 23 billion. This gives us an indication, right, of their spending power. Um, would you say, Bob, that, you know, looking at the last, say, two decades, that the business of football is in for a shake-up or has modern football already changed in this last 20 years? Well, it has already changed uh, out of all recognition. I mean, the, just look at the uh, transfer fees and the wages. I remember when Alan Shearer was signed by Newcastle mm. for a world record fee of £15 million. <laughs> and people said, well, how on That's earth crazy. can anyone be... You know, this was the mid-90s. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and now look at it. I mean, two hundred million. Neymar mm. is the world is the world record, current world record, isn't it? So yeah, and the wages, of course. I don't think Shearer earned more than ten or twenty thousand pounds a week. I don't know how he got by on that. It's a hundred hundred thousand ringgit a week. Yeah, I've struggled by, but now it's uh, now Ronaldo's getting half a million. A week, so yes, it's tra- it's changed out of all recognition and all proportion. Mm. Mm. But it could change again, as you say. The Newcastle's um, owners 
are worth a lot more than Man City's. Uh, mere 23, 23 billion. billion. Mm. This is seven, 700, did you say? Yeah. 700 to 23. That's well, crazy. It can be blown out of the water. I mean, now that financial fair play has been effectively rendered pretty useless by Man City and PSG, um, what's to stop them bidding a, a ridiculous amount just to make sure they get Mbappe and Haaland, mm. uh, who were likely to be the, the big noises in, in a couple of years' time, post-Ronaldo post and post-Messi, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, inst- so Ronaldo, uh, or, or the name, Neymar, cost 200. Well, that was an example of PSG blowing others out of the water with 200 million. Well, what's to stop Newcastle coming in, coming in with 500 million, for example? Hmm. I mean, it could get that ridiculous. And I think, though, that would be the moment when you might say the bubble's going to burst. Yeah. Because I think that could be uh, unsustainable. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, for the whole league, not, not, not unsustainable for the Saudi PIF, but for the whole league. The, the league, uh, the league, and the fans as well, right? I mean, now there are talks of Newcastle joining the Big Six to become the Big Seven. Um, Bob, at what point does the EPL just become unbearable because of it being a sport of who has the most money, right? Eventually, you'll come to that point. Yeah, well, some would say it's almost unbearable now. <laughs> it's just a good thing that when you turn on the TV, you get a great game of football to watch yeah. most of the time. This season has been tremendous. Uh, and, but it's not because of the money. It's because teams like West Ham and Brighton and Brentford are up there challenging the big boys. Mm. That's the beauty of it. Even with this, this very uneven distribution of wealth, mm. it's not quite gone uh, beyond, um, uh, you know, any sort of rationale, any reasonable reckoning. Mm. Those small teams can get promoted from the championship and make a fist of it. West Ham are not a small team, by the way. Um, But uh, uh, Brentford were considered a small team. And they came from the fourth tier of English football and can take on the likes of Arsenal and beat Arsenal, draw with Liverpool... Um, that is why we didn't want the Super League. Mm. And you can bet that the Newcastle owners will be voting for the Super League when it rears its ugly head again. Mm. Because it's not not dead. It's not dead, I'm afraid. Mm. Mm. Um, The football investments from the Middle East, you know, we've seen it, like you rightly mentioned, PSG, Man City. Um, Asin Wenger called this uh, financial doping and a whole bunch of teams have accused them for unfairness. Um, would you say that this takes the heart and soul away from a beautiful game? Like, how do you find the balance between um, keeping your club sustainable and also fair competition, right? Well, it's, um, I mean, many predicted that it would uh, have already been unsustainable and, and unfair by now. But I, as I just said, I mean, the fact that a team can come from the fourth tier and challenge the top flight uh, in in about eight years um, shows that there is some fairness mm. uh, and it it isn't a closed shop that's the biggest thing 
it's got. There mm. is a pyramid in all the leagues in Europe. You can actually get through them all. They all have promotion relegation. Mm. And that was the biggest argument against the Super League. The Super League was going to be a closed shop. So it's still okay, but only just. And as I said before, this could be the tipping point. This could be where it just gets ridiculous. Mm. And I think that if, um, I mean, if uh, Newcastle eventually sort themselves out, whether they go down or not, they will come back with that sort of money. You can't keep them down. So they will eventually be in the Premier League and a force to be reckoned with. Mm. And that could be when the Super League idea uh, comes back and that will be the 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 day that that football as we know it dies mm. but it's not there yet and it's great this season has been fabulous both in the premier league and in the champions league mm. and long may it continue Mm. Um, January is on the way and Newcastle is uh, set to spend big um, many are assuming in January uh, bringing in a new manager as well the last time Newcastle won the league was in 1927 like you rightly mentioned almost 100 years ago <laughs> looking into your crystal ball Bob do you see Newcastle pushing the top of the table or even winning it in the near or distant future? Yeah I actually see uh, a serious chance of them getting relegated for the reasons I've said. Uh, they're not very good and they're not going to be able to buy anybody until January. Mm -hmm. And who's, who's going to come and who's the manager going to be? All the top managers are, are taken or, well, there's one available. I think he might go to Manchester United, but that's another story. <laughs> um, they might try to get him, um, Antonio Conte. Now, that would be something, but I don't think he'd go there. I don't think he'd go there to a club that's in danger of being in the second tier and uh, it, it probably doesn't suit his style. But um, I, think they'll, I think they could be challenging within, say, five years. I, I, you know, it, I, I think they probably slight odds on to go down and then it will take them you know, an extra couple of years to, to come back up and, and be a force. Yeah, be but I do, I do see them challenging. Mm. Uh, yes, yes. Um, but I, I also feel about this sports washing, I, also, I think up to now, generally speaking, it's worked in inverted commas, in very large inverted commas, which are hard to do on radio. But... Um, you know, even Roman Abramovich has come over better as a, as a better person, I think, than we perhaps imagined he was when we read about him. Um, but this may be the one that doesn't work. And interestingly, there have been some analysis of uh, Qatar's involvement with PSG and the World Cup. And PSG has been a success, definitely. Uh, they've got fans around the world and uh, they've handled it well. But PSG are not popular in France. They never were. I mean, they, and they still aren't. But the Qataris have had the criticism for the World Cup. The, uh, the way they've handled PSG has uh, uh, been okay. And, and they've, you know, they've, uh, they were gentlemanly enough to resist the Super League, which was a big... Uh, brownie point for them. Yeah. But the, a lot of people didn't know 
that um, Qatari uh, had a bad human rights record. But everybody knows it now. So the other side of this so-called sports washing is that you highlight your weaknesses. I mean, the, a lot of people were unaware of the way these uh, construction workers from uh, South Asia were treated and how, um, how many of them died. Apparently, thousands have died on building the stadiums of the World Cup. Mm. Well, if they hadn't have had the World Cup, we wouldn't have known about that, would, would we? Mm. And of course, they, people have died on other construction before the World Cup stadium started to be built. I mean, people were dying building uh, high-rise towers and what have you in uh, Qatar. Um, and, but a, lo a lot of the world's population were ignorant of this fact until they got uh, the World Cup and they started reading about it. So it can work the other way. Mm. But generally speaking, I think it has been positive. But as I say, with this particular one, I think they've got to be very careful, and I think Saudi Arabia has also got to brush up its image. I mean, there are Newcastle fans doing 20 years jail in Saudi Arabia for, uh, for tweets that upset somebody. Hmm. Uh, there are women that are, that are in jail for trying to drive a car. I mean, this, this is way beyond anything that Qatar or or UAE has done. So yeah. I think it is by degree. That was football pundit and writer Bob Holmes on the programme this week as we've been talking about the recent takeover of Newcastle United by a Saudi-led consortium. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's programme. If you'd like to revisit this episode, you can head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none or if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.